Hey everyone, this is Dan. Welcome to Eventually Super Train, episode 123. We are a short-lived TV show podcast. We are a short-lived TV show podcast covering short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually we will get around to Super Train. In this episode we got a brand new old show and a, and a, a previous uh, guest are returning. So we are beginning. So I'm going to be talking quickly here because um, the episode we're discussing uh, is a two-hour pilot episode, so it this is going to be an extra long uh, uh, episode of the show. Uh, we're going to begin with uh, the great uh, Christopher Blind, myself, discussing uh, which episode, The Magnificent Warriors episode of Battlestar Galactica. And then uh, Tim S. Turner and myself will be talking, which one we t- The Chopper episode of Kolchak. And then... Bad edit. Ooh, did you hear that bad edit right there? I decided I wanted to keep the secret a little bit longer about what the brand new old show is. You're going to have to wait about an hour. Keep listening. Battlestar Galactica time. Magnificent Warriors, directed by Christian I. Nyby II, written by Glenn A. Larson. This is November 12, 1978. Uh, in this one, uh, Cylons attack uh, the fleet and destroy their food supply. So Adam and the gang have to go down onto a, um, a grain-rich planet that is having some trouble with the humans on it and the sort of native uh, race. And um, Adama has to... Um, to uh, to get some assistance on the planet, he has to bring along an old flame of sorts, and all kinds of chicanery goes on. And so, yeah, Chris and I are talking about it on the other side. Like I said, I'm trying to do these plot breakdowns quick because this is an extra long episode. So let's hop on to the other side of this music. Christopher and I are there. The Magnificent Warriors. Speaking of Magnificent Warriors, I'm here with Chris Bly. Chris, how are you? I'm good, Dad. You? I'm doing all right. I I um. I, I'm going to say we dive right in. Yes. Let's not goof around. Let's go to the planet Serenity or Sectan or whatever the heck this planet is. Yes. What do you? What did you think of this episode? Uh, okay, interesting. I think one of the first episodes that we covered, we sensed that there was a little bit of a Western element mm. to the show. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is that when I was watching the whole situation and all that they had to do when they go to this other planet, I said, you know. You could have had a West setting on this one and everything that kind of, you know, you could have watched like maybe like a wagon train or one of these shows that end up in a town of like the gunslinger comes to town and all this. But here it's kind of like the the poor Western town that maybe the bad guys are taking over and um, you, you basically say, oh, well, we need the help and we need the help of some outsiders. And you could have almost put that into a Wild West setting. as, the, as And this was one of those shows that was kind of like that, you know, of sorts. Uh, the one th- and also what I have to say, <laughs> this was a fun episode to go through for a multitude of reasons. Um, one of which happened to be the casting of one Brett Summers. Mm. Oh yes, she's coming yes. right off of Match Game, and I have to say she is in uh, what I like to consider Encino mode, which is to say, 
<laughs> for those of you who, uh, by the way, uh, when you get to this episode, this is Blu-ray disc three. Three, yes. The start of it there. That's number one. And then the other thing that comes to this, too, is that Encino mode, for those of you who are, are match game illiterate, uh, there's some, you know, some don't get to watch a match game that often, but she always mentions the secret rendezvous place that you would go with Gene to. It's like, oh, watch what we're going to do over back at Encino. You know, she always mentions Encino. And I said, in this episode, God knows she was having the goo goo eyes for Lord Green on this episode. <laughs> and I said, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a Encino sector somewhere yes. in space that you'd Probably be taking yeah. uh, Lord Green back to the same way that she would on Gene yes. Rayburn on this planet. <laughs> And if you if you ever come to visit me, I can we can drive to Encino in about seven minutes from where I am, so we can we can explore. Um, uh, but it's it's interesting this episode because I quite like her. Yes. But um, I I and 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 seeing Glenn A. Larson's name on it because I know that his his thing like at this time I think B.J. and the Bear would have been picked up, so he would probably have had begun to shift his focus to the first season of B.J. and the Bear, because he used to start the shows going and then kind of leave them. Mm. Um, But this one he wrote, and so whenever he comes up, his name comes up as having written one, it's not him and three other people or a story by someone, it's just him. I always like to think that this is sort of important. Yeah. Like... And and I think it is because it's very Western, mm. and I think this is kind of the way he's thinking about Battlestar Galactica is like um, uh, Star Trekky, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. going out and finding these planets. Now, did I like the episode? I'll be honest; I thought this one was a bit of a dud. Uh, I like Brett Summers in it, but the rest of it, like the stuff in the casino and the tavern, I feel like we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And the stuff with when they meet the natives <laughs> seems a bit seems seems to me I, I I like the the concept behind the main native guy and we'll talk about what his deal is yeah. but it seems a bit underdone mm. to me and it just it's it's just weird it almost my thought was that I know that when they began to do the show it was supposed to be like two hour movies. Mm-hmm. I am wondering if this was one where, like, Glenn A. Larson was like, they were like, Glenn, we need, like, a script in two days. Mm-hmm. And he, and so he immediately just, he, his mind accessed westerns, he accessed stuff, and there's a casino bit, there's tavern bits, we've already seen those, you know, there's, and, and we're just kind of just rifling, the, the only new bit is Adama meeting up with a lady. Well, and, That's the and, only, le- the, and leaving the Galactica. Too, you know, yes, because we don't yes. often see him away from the True. ship, you know, on that yes. one. And then the other thing yes. too is that I said, well, you know, if you're going to call this magnificent warriors, well, uh, I think you know they could have got Don Morocco, but I think Mr. Fuji was asking for too much money <laughs> yeah. in terms of getting them out of the WWF thing at that point, yes, or WWF yeah. at that point. But um, and then you have Barry, Barry Nelson in this episode, who okay. you know, we yeah. always appreciate for decades upon decades. God knows he was the first James Bond, technically speaking. Yeah, you know? technically, yes, yes. And and mm-hmm. here and you know. A, a, basically decided to continue with the character stuff not so much the lead stuff and here it's kind of like he's he's a guy who's running out of fear because it's like saying oh well we could do this with us but uh, oh and by the way we have a constable there what is it about putting 
rants Howard in something that always has to bring out the farm in all of us. I mean, he's like, it's Chinatown. It's like, tell me where to take him with the sheep. And I'm going like, here we got farm animals over here. And rants Howard, once again, you know, has to be, we got to take care of it, if yes. not for two minutes. And of course, yes. like, he gets knocked off by this uh, other uh, race by the, yeah. the Borays. And here's yeah. the funny thing about the Borays. I said, you know, <laughs> they're like, I was going like, they're like half eighth, half wolf, because it's like, the moon is out. Oh, my God, the borays are going to be running wild. Look out. Uh -huh. It's like that little bit of uh, fear. And it's like, when you get closer to them, they're more like hoggish apes. Because, you know, yes. as we get closer mm -hmm. to the thing there, we see that they're a little more pig-like, and they're oinking. God knows, like, you know, like, you hear them oinking a lot during this episode, particularly when you get mm. to the last third of it. And, but they don't exactly have, you know, I think it was kind of a quickie because, you know, you had a lot of guys in masks, but also, too, no language because they're practically like grunts. Why don't you just go up the yes. grunties? Because all they do is yeah. grunts. <laughs> I, I like to know where is the translator that they have for this that yes, they're able exactly. to communicate their deals with, particularly when they say, mm -hmm. like, you know, we have uh, Starbucks. Ah, yes, uh, we, we worked into a deal. It's like we, we yes. spoke about a little something. I go, like, what did you speak about? It's like, uh, well, I, I'm going, it's like you knew what they were saying really jeez like, mm -hmm. I'm surprised it's like, I li I'd like to see where that Rosetta Stone of uh, Bore happens to be there <laughs> I wonder if Bore was going to be sporting off Borat in this, this uh <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when you actually speak to him, he's like, now let me tell you something. I've got some ideas about what we can do with the planet. Uh, it's, it, but it's nice. Yeah, I just actually have Rance Howard is up here. As always, Rance Howard, of course, is um, in one of the best movies of the 70s, Mr. No Legs. He plays a drug, uh, drug runner dealer kind of guy in that. Um, uh, and here, here he's in the scene. He's in the scene with the, um, the assistant guy the one with the mustache um he i he is i know him best from the third season of bj and the bear oh wow well, where he's the the assistant cop to the the third season of bj and the bear is the one where uh bj settles down in los angeles and has the trucker the six tr lady truckers helping him. ah so this is another one from the larson stock company yes and and there yeah and there's there's the bad guy and I forget what his character's name is, but like the bad cop and the guy with the mustache in this, he is the secondary guy. Mm, okay. And he's also in, um, he is also one of the two main cops in the wonderful Harry Novak produced A Scream in the Streets. <laughs> oh, wow. Which is not for everyone. <laughs> but, but it's, 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 it's a weird episode because, um, it's, it's, I, I watch it and I just think, Okay, they can all be great. Yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't get much out of this one. I, I felt like we've been to these places before and there's not much um I didn't get a lot of energy from it. The the only bit I liked was what's what I, what I, I liked I liked of course uh, Adama and the little and the lady. Mm. Although there are a couple times when you hear her voice and she she sounded a bit too um is it Edith Massey from the John Waters films? <laughs> she said, oh, nature, Francie, nature. And you just, there's one moment when she speaks, and, and, I, and I, I happen to be looking away, and I thought, was that, is there a Muppet in this episode? <laughs> well, yeah, it I was like, oh, no, it's her. Speaking of which, I think it would have been intriguing to have Brett Summers in a John Waters movie for sure. I it, Wouldn't that have been? Oh, yeah. So, that would have been but, amazing. But, but it is fun to watch her with the Dama. Oh, yeah. And, um... 
and and because she's obviously got sort of the control over the situation i like that and the sort of the way starbucks saves the day in the end <laughs> well i think is is really clever because it's sort of it, it takes what was once sort of a um an issue and makes it into like a circular thing now mm. where everyone should be safe mm. because of his idea oh, isn't and nice? that's sharp now here's the other thing too is that they credit Ed Begley Jr. on this episode. He's got one, yes. Green Bean's got one scene. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, and also here's the other yeah. thing: we do get a return of Jolly, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, guys: Lorette Spang is credited here, and all three, uh, and you know, just the last two parter and this one yeah. had no Lorette Spang. Why not? I said, guys, yeah. I said, you know, you got to think of like, you know, the MIAs over here when you have your credits. Yeah. I mean, I can understand Colicos not being on this because there really was no Cylon uh, focus here. Not at all. Yeah. And yeah. So, so basically we're dealing with another race of uh, the Borays. You know, it's like, I don't know if they were mm. just boring, but, you know, like I said, they, they communicate <laughs> in grunts. They're not related to the gargoyles, but, you know, there you go. Uh, <laughs> they, they did have a bit of gargoyle they, feel. They had, like, so, a face on that. I'm not sure yes, if this makeup guy might yes, have uh, worked yes. on either or, but, you know, it's just... The, I, th I think the tricky thing to me with that scene where they're confronting all the Bores and, and Adama goes in with the head guy into wherever they go, and there's a moment where, like, one of them jumps up and down, and I want to say, like, Apollo shoots one of them off a cliff, <laughs> and you see that and think, and the first thing you think is, Oh, there's going to be trouble, yeah. and then there's no trouble at all. Because yeah. well, it, it's not like, River City, for Christ's sake. You know yeah, exactly. And, and your first thought is, and my first thought was, my first thought was, well, that's a little lame. <laughs> but then when you learn, you and we'll, we'll spoil it here. The joy of this group of natives is that their leader is so lazy mm -hmm. that all they do is. They're they're like it's it's like the hedon, hedonist bot on Futurama. They just hang out. They do whatever they want, and they don't work. Okay. And then when they need stuff, they attack the humans, get what they need. The and moon's got to be out for that. Yeah, the yes, moon's got to yeah. be up, and then that's that's that for them. So. Yeah. And and they do that. And and there's something about although it was weird because when Adama goes in to talk to him. He comes back a moment later, walks up to Starbuck, and says he's the laziest, shiftiest person I know. And I thought he was speaking to Starbuck. <laughs> I thought he was he was speaking specifically to Starbuck, but he was talking about the the head of the 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 Bores there. Well, uh, Starbuck and, raises his eyebrow and almost be like, "Oh, my kind of people." What? Yes. So. And 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 I will say like for the fact that I, I I don't I don't really like the episode there are there are definitely moments in it, well, it that you, are worth watching. It also makes you wonder if you go into uh, Starbucks DNA if he had like any kind of other species that he's associated oh, with yeah. besides human. I said, does he have a little bit of bore in him? Maybe you know. It's, Maybe that's a thought. But yeah, yeah, this is the they're everyone's spreading out, and who knows uh, what. Well, at least he's not grunting. You know, it's like, well, maybe that's True. how he understands. Maybe we just figured it out. He has a bit of boray, and, and we've never been told this until now exactly. that he, you know, he's you know, like you know, like Spock has part Vulcan and part human. I think we may have part boray. Exactly. In the, in you know, and you he, know, it's like it's and he has a gambling gene and everything else like it. Yeah, yeah, that's it's the thing too. We finally find out that there's a meter for the currency of some of the stuff that he gambles with. Yes. Like, and so we we still never find out exactly how much for the badge. We never see, we yeah. see the number continuously going up, but we don't know if that's like jackpot or something like that. You know. Yeah. What I mean? So it's, yeah. But it it, it yeah. must be a big big enough about that they they don't mention it. You know. It's mm -hmm. 
It's kind of like one of those open-ended things, you know, but it's one of those things. And then finally, by the end, uh, Barry Nelson finally figures out, okay, you know what? I'm going to do it myself. Finally. Okay, guys, we, we're waking up and actually doing work. Okay. Can we move on? <laughs> yes. Now? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, I hope, th- I hope that, um, Colony does all right. Hmm. I'm a little. It seems a little vague. Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we're going to be returning to. I mean, we didn't have any red shirts to actually test this out over there. Yeah, that, that. Yeah, that was the, that was the, that was the thing about. And it. we never, we never get little, to see the Energizer uh, number two. So I think this would have been a good place yeah. for the Energizer Bunny, perhaps. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. the, the beginning kind of has you know kind of like this eco kind of thing going on there, and yeah, I yes. kind of thought you know okay for two minutes you guys had like a silent running thing going here you know with this. Yes, it's kind of with like the seed is. We need the seed. Yeah, the seeds. Yeah. You know, like the. It's almost like the biosphere ships that have had two have gone down. Mm-hmm. One of them else also have have not. But it's like it's one of those things where it's like like oh we have to get the message because like oh without the seeds we don't get food without without the food without the energizer we don't get the, the seeds so it's like you know, it's kind of like the bargaining chip and it's like I would love to see like <laughs> the bag that somebody would like bump over it's like wait a minute what's this that they've been talking about seeds wait a minute <laughs> what <are you> <laughs> to us all this time about. Answer our questions now, please. uh. I would have loved if Starbuck went off with the Energizer and came back with like like a cow or magic seeds or some magic beans or something. He says, like, "Oh yeah, they made a stop to Walnut Grove, and all of a sudden you find out that there's a little house on the prairie thing going on over there." Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I I think they. I, I will say this. I think the episode's a, a bit of a dud, but it is fun to watch. It's a fun it's, one. It's, it's, not, like, it's not, yeah, not it's, the greatest it's, episode. It'll never be put onto the list. It's like, oh, if you really want to get into Battlestar Galactica, watch this one. You know, it's like, it's never uh, going to be on that list. However, you know, it's kind of a diversion of, okay, while we're not dealing with the Cylons, we're going to see if we can deal with we another world. We have to do wor- something. We have to yeah. have another world. we got to have another species, yes. even though this species is uh, very intelligible. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So of course, yeah, yeah. It's like it's one of those things where we're diverting ourselves from the Cylons. Now we're going mm. to another world, another species, even though they're just so intelligible. Uh, it's yeah. It's one of those things where you just say to you, you just say to yourself, okay, we're trying different things. We're throwing it to the wall. Yes. We see if it sticks. Something that mm-hmm. Universal is very familiar with, even with their movies. You know, as I've gotten used mm-hmm. to it, and um, just. Uh, they try, you know. It's like I can't say. Yeah. It's not the like I said. It's not the episode I would ever think. Oh, this is the best. It's not the episode that you would want to say. Like what shows you the best of Galactica? It's kind of a uh-huh. sight, or it's kind of like okay, this is kind of like a respite. And once again, by the way, Muffet and Boxy find a way to include themselves into it. It's like yes, oh, it's got a transfer for five. It's like oh, I can't see why they can't include you on this one. Let's try it up to two. <laughs> Do these guys ever account for the weight of these ships? And that at some, yes. one of these things might yeah. break. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the account that somebody might be heavy or something like like yeah. Yes. Buffett put on a lot of weight. And he became like a giant daggett. I said, I think we might be in trouble here. You know, it's, yeah, because he's he's a growing boy, and I'd hate to see that moment where he's like suddenly two foot taller and like, wait a minute, did you grow? Oh crap, we're in trouble. Gigantism <laughs> in trouble. coming through next on Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> on Battlestar Galactica, I think. I think for me, if um, if I if if the show had gone on for several years, um, this would have been sort of a charming episode yeah. in season one. Well, not only that, the I, uh, score here by Stu Phillips has to be notable because it's one of those ones where they actually gave a theme to the Borays that I said to myself, mm-hmm. it reminded me a little because they had the nets. And I thought they were a little like an ape. I said, this is like something out of like if we decided to focus Planet of the Ape on the on the apes and not the humans, 
You know, I think oh, you'd have one of those things where it's like, you know, they're, they're catching them by nets. They're, they got this bump, yes. bump, bump, like, like, this, like, this, like, like, this had this one, like, bit of music that they kept using that at one point they slow it down because, you know, we would have had that, like, special episode kind of feel there. But, um, but at some point, it's like they used it, they, they actually got a theme from Stu Phillips yes. on this, you know, and it actually was one of his better kind of scores that I've seen on there. Despite the way that we feel about the episode, I said, at least you have, you know, the contributions of Stu Phillips that he actually tried to give uh, the score wise a little bit of character mm-hmm. to this race that we happen yeah. to be introduced to. As, as I suppose, I think any sort of sort of side journey or, or um, uh, uh, tributary off from the main Cylon kind of thing is definitely worth if you're a big Galactica fan, it's definitely worth exploring. It's definitely worth seeing. I, I just think the episode isn't a favorite of mine, but hey, 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 maybe the next one will be. I don't remember what the next one is. It's, I'm sure it's great. Yeah, I, I believe it's The Young Lords. Oh, oh, with um, one of the Lander sisters. Yeah, and we will find that one out uh, nice. sometime in the future. Can't wait. Nice. Hey, it's funny, one of the Landers over here has actually been on one of the passwords over the weekend. There. Oh, if... <laughs> and I have to say, smart kids those two were. I think Audrey and Judy were very yes. good on these game shows. Password, yeah. Judy was like, you know, fit into that, uh, or both of them fitted very well with their clues and kind of like, you know, was. I mean, she was... One of them was kind of really like you know doing a little better than Jack Jones was on that particular week oh, of that show. Nice. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on YouTube. I'm gonna type in password. I'm gonna type in Judy or Audrey Landers. Uh, I, I think they, they might have played movie. both Plus and Super, but I'm not sure. But yeah, but definitely Plus for sure. I've got I've got the time to do all those searches mm, this go. evening. So so, I love so those Chris, do you have anything? Yeah, you gotta love the latest. Do you do you have anything else on this one? Uh, that was pretty pretty much it. I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, I don't think so. But like I said, it's kind of like the more if, the more Western episode for them, and also like yes, just, you know, we're going on to that other planet that maybe we think about going back to again, maybe not, or just one of those things like, well, this is another species out there. And another yes. other one there, and it's like, well, you know, maybe the maybe Starbuck wasn't exactly made to be the constable, but um, he certainly got the gold piece from it. You know, it's, it's funny, everything has a gold yeah. piece because if you go back to that two-parter, funny thing is, uh, what's his name? Boxing was kind of on medallion. Uh, yeah, there. It's like they watch this thing. It's very so. We have like two pieces of something very key for some character somewhere along the lines, you know, within the yes. last three episodes. Uh, of the show mm. so far, so it's like, who knows what piece is going to be in the the Young Lords? Yes, let's do it. Let, that'll be next for us, folks. I'm going to ask Chris. Chris, where can we find you online? Well, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com/slash Captain Bly, where you'll be uh, going into maybe a couple of my my life, but also to some projects like the Deep Dive TV Movie Picture Show, which keeps on adding, and uh, First View movie a day uh, project that i have that uh, i cover a movie a day and write about it and you'd be surprised if anybody predicts the order it's a lot better than uh, the warren burger pledge of the final four uh, i don't know how anybody could predict it because always something is changing and you can find me on you can follow me on twitter or instagram at captain bly 76 where you might see some pictures of uh, what's been going on and uh, my current uh, past present or future and on twitter uh possible live tweets uh, on Turner Classic Movies. Excellent. Thank you again. And yeah, next time we got some Young Lords. And next up...
Chopper, episode 15 of Kolchak, directed by Bruce Kessler. A story by Bob Zemeckis, Bob Gale. A teleplay by Steve Fisher and David Chase, uh, January 31st, 1975. And the easiest way to describe this episode is a headless motorcycle rider with the sword rises up out of the grave and begins to kill those he feels are responsible for his death. Yes, we do have Art Matrano. Tim S. Turner and I on the other side. Chopper. Uh, <laughs> maybe a, a, a kind of notorious-ish episode of the show, I think. It's it's one that whenever I read people, uh, whenever I encounter people uh, writing about it, they always seem to bring this one up. And I think I think with good reason. Um, and, but I am here, of course, with Tim S. Turner. <laughs> Tim, how are you? Uh, I, 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 I'm pretty good. Uh, I, I assume that the notorious thing is the effects on the headless biker. It's uh, more or less. Yeah. I think, I think it's actually, um, some, some stuff, um, says, yeah, yeah. Mention the effects and another say, uh, the, 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 basically just the concept behind it is so wacky. Um, it, yeah, it is kind of goofy. So what, what, what do you think? What do you think of? Chopper. Which, by the way, the fact that this this does have uh, Art Matrano yes. uh, in it, calling it Chopper, yes. does seem a little more appropriate. Yes. Uh, they should spell it A-H. Yes, Chopper. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, when, when I watched this originally uh, in the 70s... Um, this is again one of those ones that freaked me out because I think when you're a little kid, you you don't look at the guy with the enormous torso and no head and and think, oh, well, it's he's got a huge torso because his head's hidden down in the yeah <laughs> the costume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't think about it that way. When as an adult, in retrospect, in 2022, looking at it, you're like, ooh, oh wow. Yeah. That's not great. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I like this episode despite that. I, I, you know, it is silly. It is goofy. Um, and when you know when you know that it's written by Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, yeah. uh, that makes it even more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> more yeah. ridiculous. Um, and. You know, it got, I don't know. I I liked it. It's got Jim Backus. How can you not like yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I actually think that this is one of my favorite episodes. I yeah. I, I what I what I am able to do, having grown up with Doctor Who, where you would watch an episode, you'd really get into it, and then the alien would show up, and you'd be like, oh dear. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're that, used to so, low rent effects. So you have to you have to. Um, the well, well, the thing with this one that that I didn't realize, I listened to a couple, just a minute or two of the commentary. Kim Newman, the author and critic, is on there, and he yeah. says, and he and the other person he's on there with with them says, okay, that's not g- great when it first shows up, but they say what you have to remember is that the writers gave the the production crew like three impossible things, so it was like, um, you've got someone has to be headless. Doing motorcycle stunts while weaving a, like a sword around the whole time. Right. So you said if you if you think about it like that, you you sort of begin to feel for the poor person who's. I mean, because this person they have to ride with a you know a fake neck on top of their head. 
They're looking out through the coat. They're doing motorcycle stunts around other actors while swinging a sword. (laughs) And it's like you read that and you think, that's nuts. Yeah. And it is kind of nuts. And you know what? It is. It does look kind of goofy, but I think, and they 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 really should have kept things a little darker. Yeah. If they had kept it darker, just so you could go, did that guy have no head? Would be better than the first time you see him. It looks like there's a movie from seventy two or seventy one uh, called Curse of the Headless Horseman, directed yeah. by the man who made Carnival of Blood. And in that movie, there's a headless horseman who. Um, who causes a bunch of hippies some trouble. And the whole time you see, whenever you see the Headless Horseman, you think, that's a guy with, like, a fake neck on his head. And that's the point at the end of the movie, is they reveal it, Scooby-Doo style. The problem with this is you keep thinking it's going to be Scooby-Doo style, but because it's Kolchak, you know it's not. You know they really are going for it. This is a headless (laughs) biker with a sword... (laughs) killing yeah. people while doing motorcycle stunts. That is that is nuts. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's a couple of moments uh like near the end too where it you know the biker attacks Carl and I know it's a stunt man instead of uh Darren McGavin, but boy the the body language on the stunt man looks like oh my god He's going to be swinging that damn sword, <laughs> you know, and he can't see a thing. Yes. <laughs> he yes. kind of like does this, like he kind of rolls up into a ball and kind of rolls yeah. out of the way, you know. And <laughs> it's a, Yeah, it's once you can and maybe you can't, and I'd understand if, if you're if you're if you can't, once you can accept the headless motorcyclist. Um, I think it becomes one of the best episodes. It's got a great backstory. It's got a lot of interesting characters. Um, I, I love the way it sets itself up, you know, with um, just, just. I mean, it feels very, um, the way it sets itself up feels very sort of Zemeckis Gale to me, where it's one damn thing after another kind of thing. Yeah. Now, it's not at the level of the Back to the Future films or 1941 or used cars, but it's, it's it has that sort of Zemeckis and Gale feel where, you know, it just keeps getting a bit crazier. As it goes until Carl is like, th- like th- in a warehouse throwing a head at a headless motorcyclist with a sword yeah. that's about to kill him. I mean, it's just like, and the fact that it like the final rewrites were done by David Chase, and I yes. forget the name of the other gentleman, but the other gentleman was a film noir writer. He wrote uh, Lady of the Lake, the first person Philip Marlowe um, mm, movie, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and he wrote a bunch of other film noirs. But just the fact that just the fact that these four people. Who now I'm not as familiar with the film noir guy, but I do like Lady of the Lake. So is that just the Steve fact, Fisher. That, yes, yes. Just the fact yeah. that these are four writers who whose work I enjoy and whose work I trust wrote this makes me feel a little warmer inside when I watch it. There's just something so so nutty about it, um, and it's great when Art Matrano shows up. You like that's awesome, and I love the way that he gets away from the mad motorcyclist by basically running up a telephone pole. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic! I, I absolutely love it, and I mean, there, there is. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I, there, there. I, I love that warehouse scene with Art Matrano and um, who's the actor who plays Jesse White? Jesse White, yes, Jesse White is the security guard. Tag repairman. Yes, and um, and Carl in there. I love that scene because it's shot in such a way where you can't always tell where everyone is in relation to one another. 
but in some scenes that's annoying like you don't want that in an action scene you know you need to know where everyone is in relation to one another in an action scene because then it's just chaos but in this it's like you don't quite know where carl is in relation to art art and when Jesse White runs at him, you don't quite know where they are in relation to Carl. And at one point, Robert Matrano is swinging his flashlight around. You don't quite know if Carl's going to get, you know, if he's going to be in the glare of the light. It's all kind of weird. And, um, you know, uh, then, of course, there's a, the headless motorcyclist. The, the, the tricky thing with that warehouse, it is, it is purported to be like a county warehouse, but it's clearly a empty box warehouse, yeah. which which is always the uh, the tricky thing. Like when the when the when the swordsman goes by and slashes at Art Matrano, and like the sword, the blade rips through like two boxes. They're clearly empty boxes. They're, oh, yeah. The sword the sword rip was awesome, but uh, they're clearly empty boxes. But they're, <laughs> it's 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 some, there's there's something about the episode. I don't. I, I don't know that I'd say this is the best episode, but there's something about I don't want to use the word chutzpah, but there's just something about <laughs> the 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 overall crate and like we're going for it, you know we're yeah. doing the, the, you know what the and they're all wearing hats the whole crew wearing hats that say we're going for it. <laughs> I, I think that there's two types of of, of uh, Shack episodes. There's uh well actually three. Uh, there's the genuinely scary suspenseful episodes like uh <clears throat> say zombie right mm-hmm. and then there's the ones that just don't work mm-hmm. and then there's the ones that are just bonkers yes and they're just it, 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 it's some of the stuff in it if you just explain it to someone or read it on paper it sounds absolutely idiotic yes but for some reason you're you're just having so much fun with it that you just roll with it and i yeah. this is one of those yes and the fact that that your climax is Kolshak takes the 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 skull uh, the 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 head yeah and just throws it at the biker and it just falls over and that's <laughs> that's, that's all that's needed that's all that, it's it's like the standing on the back of the the truck and denouncing yeah. the witch and yeah. that's over uh, yeah it's funny though it's it's funny because when you think about it, it's like what else was Carl going to do really. I mean, he's if Carl. If, if he, it's it's like I try I tried to think. Like I saw that, I thought, okay, I'm fine with that ending. I would have preferred something a little more substantial. But what would Carl have done? Yeah, was he gonna do like sew it back on? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's like it was tough <laughs> enough when he had to do the zombie thing and put the salt in the mouth, and that was that was harrowing enough. Yeah, but that zombie was was unconscious at the time. He wasn't headless on a motorcycle with a sword. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think and there there are little moments in the episode too that like like the Jim Backus scene is really wonderful because he gives out information and it's I love that Jim Backus is character in this because he starts off as kind of like a shifty looking motorcycle salesman but by the end he's become an actual like kind of character. You know, and when he talks yeah. when he talks about the Japanese motorcycle and suddenly he goes like, "Oh yeah, the you know, I forget exactly how the story goes. You know, but I I flew a plane in the war, and I was shot down by Matsuma or whatever. I forget what it is, but like I was shot down by one of their planes. I was in the hospital for a year. I couldn't walk. They make a hell of a motorcycle, you know, or something like that. It's just like yeah. you could see him for a moment, like going off into a place where it's like, 
oh, this is this is not. And he he Jim Backus makes this this kind of one scene thing. And kind of like Jamie Farr a couple episodes ago is able to make this this biology professor or character kind of richer than you think it should be. This, yeah, this Jim, yeah. Jim Backus really pulls it off and makes it like when Carl leaves, you almost think like Carl, go back and maybe buy a motorcycle from him. I liked him. Yeah, he, for it's like a three or four minute scene, yes. and Backus makes takes a character that could have just been just a, a you know a yeah. stock you know yeah. uh, you know used car salesman huckster mm-hmm. uh, character, but he takes that and makes it into something more, and it's. It's a fun little performance uh, from Bacchus. I, I really liked it. Another one I liked was uh, was Steve Franken, who I I love him. He was you know he was Chatsworth Osborne on uh, Dobie Gillis. Oh yeah yeah yeah. You know, uh, and he's got a, a fun little scene uh, as the 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 coroner, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes yes. Yeah, uh, he's kind of got Gordy the Ghoul's uh, old <laughs> yeah. job, I guess, and. Um, and he's got some good lines. He's got the line where he yeah. looks at the guy's head, and he's like, oh, look at all the oil in there. Yeah. All you need is a little vinegar. Yeah, you can make a salad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a, it's a great – and then there's a, that, that thing, too, where, like, the first time you see him, he's reading a book on, like, hairdressing or, like, doing hair. Yeah. You know, and so there's this weird thing, like, at the end where he's telling Carl he'll do his hair for him. And I don't know if this is like some sort of cold check shampoo or something like that. I don't. I don't know what what what's going on. But it, but it's kind of like just these. I like it because it's it's um, the, I think I think all these interactions with these these characters who just had the one scene I think are getting better to me as the show goes along. I'm enjo- or I'm just enjoying them more. And yeah, these, this yeah. one is filled with a lot of great ones, including some great um, Frank Burns. Oh action. yeah. Yeah, Larry Linville returns since uh, the Night Stalker film. When he was the youngest coroner, Dr. now McCurgy. he's the youngest captain, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and he does really seem to be channeling uh, Frank Burns in this a bit. Yes, yes. You know, I'm the youngest captain, I'm and youngest, I'm going to, you know. And he's really, really hostile towards Kolchak. Oh, and yeah. Apart, apart from towing Kolchak's car away, but Kolchak gets the winning zing at the end of the episode with that. Yes. Um, apart from that, Kolchak doesn't, he just doesn't, doesn't seem bothered by him. And he, he and, and, oh, dogs are going crazy next door. Give me a second, I'm going to lower a window. <laughs> the hell? Sorry. Um Not- See now, this is the the, the 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 quality entertainment that listeners yes. crave. Please, crazy dogs, nuts next door. <laughs> yeah, the um, um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, um, yeah, the the scene where he goes into the office, his office, um, uh, Larry Linville's characters, uh, not Larry Linville's office, but um, the character's office, and basically through chicanery gets all the information he needs to investigate is, I think, really nicely done. Because the whole time um, Linville's character has a look on his face like, this Kolchak's an idiot. And the whole time Kolchak's sitting there with, like, a pen he took from him. Like, yeah? Tell, okay. Oh, really? Oh, I, huh, yeah. You oh, got totally all the info. Oh, him, yeah. Yeah, you, you got all the He's like Bugs Bunny or something, you know, just, you know, and he leaves and Yosemite Sam's like, well, I got that varmint. And then suddenly like, no! And, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's a it's a good scene, yeah. What well, what else do you have on this one? I'm gonna scan my notes. Uh, let me see. I'm looking at my. Uh... I, do, I do like all the the sort of backstory 
to it. I think it's great the backstory with the with the biker gang and how they beheaded the guy and how he kept that. I I, I like I, I like all it's um it's um I like it. I just like it. I, I think it's I think it's um it's it's nicely done and it, it adds it adds a lot of human backstory to basically a headless motorcyclist with a sword. Yeah, I, the thing that's <laughs> when if you tell somebody like the you know the plot, you're like, okay, so it's a it's a it's a dead biker from the fifties uh, who was beheaded and 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 his nickname was the Swordsman. And he he comes back headless on a bike with his sword, decapitating members of the gang that killed him. <laughs> yeah, because they set up an elaborate booby trap that somehow chopped his head off. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hear what it's about. It's just like mm-hmm. some like well, what kind of booby trap was it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. holy cow! Exactly. Yeah, and it's it, somebody. It was like, oh yeah, our Art Matrano's character is. What Spuds Spike? I forget what his name was. Studs. Studs. Yeah, he he put the, he put the wire up too high or something like that. Yeah. It's like, really? Yeah. Wow. That's um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then that sounds like post-apocalyptic adventures. He carries the head around like a trophy. Yes. In a box. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's, it's just one of those things you could see, like Bob Zemeckis, you know, like and Bob Gale just sitting there, like laughing. Oh. Okay, laughing. so then, so then uh, uh, they, they cut his head off and put it in a box, and, <laughs> and then he comes back on a motorcycle, and <laughs> and you could, and you could sort of see like the David Chase take it going, okay, I could, I think we could do this. Let me just do a little rewrite on it. Don't, don't tell me there wasn't any cocaine in the seventies. <laughs> I love because yeah, because it's it's um you know I I um you know I I, I guess if you're you're I, I'm a big Bob Zemeckis Bob Gale fan I, I like yeah. um I like their their scripts I like their stuff and like I said the the one of the absolute joys of every one of the Back to the Future movies there were only three I don't mean to make it sound like it was like Satachi or something like that there were like forty of them <laughs> but um is that they have that one damn thing after another kind of thing where you think it's all set it's good and then something happens you know and then the wire gets disconnected and doc brown has to slide down the wire from the clock to do the thing and they you know and then this happens and then and then the car isn't going to start and will the car get there on time and you know it's just that's that's sort of one of the things they were really really great at and this is a much calmer version of that probably because the final draft wasn't written by them but it does kind of have that, you know. Even even those weird bits, like that weird scene where the um, the guy who saw the headless horseman kill the first guy is put into an insane asylum. Yeah, and this really weird scene that's treated like the, uh, absolute hilarity with this guy who's sane as you or I, Tim, yeah. uh, is <laughs> uh, is like strapped into a bed. Yes, as these two guys who are clearly nuts aren't and are making jokes about spiders and their wives and boy that's a small room with those three beds i would have thought they would have given these guys more room that just seems like a, it's it's um yeah and, and and the great thing about that that scene in the the sort of asylum the psychiatric ward is that when carl is finally shown out um by the orderlies or whoever the nurse kind of looks at the guys all joking and she starts to giggle she starts to laugh she's yeah. like these these nuts are crazy i love them these, this, there's a, that's why I work here because the jokes are so good. You don't get jokes like this in the heart ward. You know, they, those guys, they don't move. 
these these guys they're moving but but yeah it's it's all these these little these little moments and these little bits and 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 all these great actors showing up and this gradual um accumulation of the story and and even 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 the beginning the way it begins with the with the with the head getting knocked out of the coffin and then the woman with insomnia going down the stairs of her house looking at the garage door and psh- cycle burst through it you know it's just like to me that's pure like that's just and then the guy gets killed and it's just um it's just gorgeously set up and and started it's just the the flaw is the motorcycle guy if you can look at it as a stuntman really earning his pay that may help you through it i i do agree that if if you're if you were raised as a fan of classic doctor who uh the chopper looks great Yes, yeah. you is probably like uh, I, you know ILM effects level. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's it's it's, it's really good. You know, it's, it's like, really for, you know for me. You know, you know the old uh, Hammer movie, The Gorgon. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yep. I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, people are always you know crapping on like the, the snake head yes. of the Gorgon. It's like you know what? It's like 1962. I yeah. think I can roll with it. Yes, exactly. It's That's okay. Yeah, that's that's fine to me. She looks mm. creepy actually, and she's really well lit with the green light and everything. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, very, very, yeah, no, I, yeah, that's, I mean, that's that to me. I, I guess I would call that a flaw in the episode, but it doesn't. There's so much that's good, too great, I would say in the episode that. Um, and and I think the second time it shows up when it attacks Armatrano in the dark by the telephone pole, it works better. Oh, much better, yeah. Like it, it's it's much better. It's just there are a few moments where you look at it and you're like, you almost expect to see like Geppetto above it, like with like oh, strings, yeah. just like that, 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 or something like that. I, I think just, their biggest flaw with that was the fact that they made the they had like the white vertebrae sticking up. Mm. I think if they had either darkened that, yeah, or yeah. just eliminated it, because yeah. it does look like. Um, it's it's one of those skeletons from a science class that somebody yes. has a skull of, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it, it, it <coughs> pardon me, yeah, and it does. Like I said, it does look unfortunately like it's going to get unmasked at the end, which is tricky. It's it's so weird because this this probably would be my favorite episode if that headless horseman were. Eh. Just I mean, even even if they kept it in the darkness and we only saw maybe shadows. And maybe right at the end, we see it just briefly for two or three seconds. And we're like, okay, that's not great, but two or three seconds doesn't ruin the episode. The unfortunate thing is they they go all out, and they, they really present it to us. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I, I, it does, does not this I – don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I'll save my favorite episode. Now, obviously, probably Night Stalker or Night Strangler is probably my favorite overall. Those are great, thing. yes. Yeah, but of the 20 episodes, I'm, I'm going to reserve until we hit the century, and then we will um, – when we're all done, I'll, I'll pick one. But this, this one – I don't know. This one is really, really up there for me the the character stuff the the way this it's plotted the 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 attacks are the attacks are vicious and they're exciting they're just slightly silly yeah because of the th- and that's unfortunate that's unfortunate um but uh 
but yeah, I, I I don't know that I have more to say about this episode. I think it's it's one of my favorites. But you you if if you if you if you can't get over, I mean I, I mean I hate to say maybe maybe if you're watching, sit there and laugh, have a good time at the goofy monster, you know, attacking them. I that would ruin it for me if I think if I did that. But I know there's some folks who you know people who prefer like you know I you know if I'm gonna watch a, a kung fu film or a Godzilla film, I want to watch the English dub. Oh, absolutely. Be, be, because you know, and and some and, and some of them I do, but some of them, eh, you know, like I don't want to watch Jackie Chan Hong Kong films with an English dub. I want to watch those in, in the Cantonese. Yeah. But some so some of the some of the things I don't mind. But like here's the thing: Spectra Man. I love Spectra Man. <laughs> I'll watch that with the English dub. But like Ultraman, I kind of prefer the Japanese dub. And I and I just think I think part of the thing is that I'm sometimes I laugh at the English dub and I I wish I wasn't <laughs> I wish I was because like laughing at the headless horseman um you could do it and it might be fun but it, it just kind of brings it down a little bit for me um but maybe maybe that's the way I should do it I should enjoy maybe it's meant to look maybe it's meant to look like that I don't know maybe that's the way he looked we don't see a picture of him Maybe no, he looked like true. a guy. Maybe he looked like a guy with a really long torso. Maybe that was a. Maybe that was in the first draft and got lost. He was oh, known man. for the sharp sword and having the longest torso in Chicago. <laughs> Perfect. One line. One line fixes it, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, he was Johnny Long Torso. <laughs> yes, Johnny Long Torso. Oh, Johnny Long Torso. Long Torso. The man who comes, who comes in, in pieces. pieces. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this has become the biggest nerd podcast ever. It has. It has gone to some places. <laughs> um, Tim, do you have anything else on Chapa? Uh, I, I don't, but uh, just uh, just to allay your fears, it was from the episode Women of the Prehistoric Planet. Oh, yeah, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Johnny. Long to- the man who comes in pieces. Um, oh. uh, so, um, and, I, and I will say, this is around the time when Art Matrano, I forget the seasons exactly, Art Matrano was on a semi-regular on Moving On. Yes. The yeah, the Frank Converse Claude Aiken show, which I have on DVD and I adore. And there, in the second season, he is basically the, he and Rosie Greer are the nemeses of um, uh, uh, our good guys in that Mr. Converse and Mr. Aikens. And they're a lot of fun. The episodes that are in are a lot of fun. They have one where they have have to race to um, uh, like a. a, a factory or something to see who's gonna you know get to haul the load and there's a wacky race and there it's fun it's fun um well i mean just think think of art matrano and rosie greer that's a fun group <laughs> well and then when yeah. you include ray milan's head on rosie greer's no i'm kidding oh no um, <laughs> no, uh, no but but they're they're fun and they're they're moving on to great show and i think it even gets better in the second season when they they sort of loosened up slightly and um and but uh but this is around the time when Art Matrano was doing that and you know we all love Art Matrano from um from this to uh Jody Love Shachi to Mauser yeah oh yeah that well he'll he'll always be Mauser to me so yes Mauser <laughs> Captain Mauser Yowser now I want to watch Police Academy two and three. <laughs> Let's do it. And he, Let's... you know, hey, he was on the the Police Academy series too. 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh Mauser. All right. Well, so if if do do we have anything else? I don't think we do. I think we've gone far enough with Chopper. Yeah. Um, uh, so Tim, where are you? What's where? What what are you? No. When 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 are you? Where I'm I'm going through when where how why? What are you up to? Why is Gamora? Um, why is? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I uh, I co-host uh, Beauty the Beast and the Beast with uh, Kelly Hogaboom. Uh, we are a genre B-film podcast. We will be covering the new Scream and Attack of the Crab Monsters and I'm sure some other um, god-awful thing that uh, I will force her to watch and, and <laughs> make her cry. No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> No, she she hate, uh, Kelly hates uh, Jalo and I love her. Oh, really? Him. Interesting. Oh, and yeah. so I I will always right. pick. It's like, oh, you know what I'm going to pick for you? Uh, what a strip nude for your killer? Oh, because <laughs> if, if there's one thing feminists love, it's it's Jalo films. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I know Amanda. Amanda it, loves Amanda a, loves a, a misogynistic. <laughs> yeah, horrible film. Yeah, yeah, strip nude is, is nutty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, today, what have they done to Solange? Or, yeah, oh, what yeah, have, what have they done to Solange? Yeah. <laughs> what have you done to your daughters? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, all right, everyone. So that was Chopper. We went off on a little Jallo, Jallo, Jallo trip right there. Um, but uh, thank you again, Tim. And we are, gosh, if you have the Blu-ray set, we're moving to the last disc now. Oh, my God. And, in fact, I don't remember what the next episode is. Uh, The next one is Demon in Lace. Demon in Lace. Awesome. Because I don't remember what it is. That's great. (laughs) That's great. As we get near the end, the deeper we get in the show, the more I don't – when I start watching it, I'll remember what it is. But I don't fully remember what it is right off the top top of my my head. Uh, So uh, thank you again, Tim. And uh, next up – oh, next up. We've got a brand new old show beginning. If you can recognize this theme song, you win a free weekend with Tim S. Turner. (laughs) Who wouldn't want that? Monkey, everyone, here we go. This is the two-hour pilot that Kristen and myself are talking about. It's called Tales of the Gold Monkey, or, or Pilot. Uh, it's written by Donald P. Uh, Belisario. It originally aired September 22nd, 1982, directed by Ray Austin. And uh, it's about the adventures of uh, American pilot Jake Cutler and his one-eyed dog 
and he gets involved with a, a lovely young lady and some German spies and um, some other people who aren't very nice. So we'll go we we'll, we go into it in depth. So I'll just say I'll just say this: um, they are all in search of an island filled with a lot of vicious monkeys and a giant idol called the Gold Monkey. And that's the that's the sort of main thing we're after here. So let's uh, let me play a little blast of music. Chris and I are on the other side to talk Tales of the Gold Monkey, the pilot. Here we go. Tales of the Gold Monkey pilot. Here we go. It's funny. It didn't it didn't occur to me. Now, I just said that out loud. This is a show about a pilot. So this is technically the episode called either Tales of the Gold Monkey or Pilot, and both of them actually work for the show because it's about a pilot it's about to shut up okay so this is tales of the gold monkey we're in here it's it's post raiders of the lost ark everyone's doing their own adventure thing whether it's in the theater whether it's um tv and i have brought along you know who she is she's the wonderful and awesome full kristen hawes aka kiki rice kristen how are you I am wishing I was in Bora Gora because yeah. it's like 30 degrees here right now. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm a, I, uh, I, I, I will just say, just say before we begin, I, this, this is one of the shows that was on my short list when I first put this, um, began Adventure Super Train. So I'm glad I finally uh, got to, uh, to someone to do it with, and I'm glad I'm finally uh, covering it. I'm glad it, it's you because Green Hornet, Auto Man, brilliant we had a great time so i'm looking forward to the third times the super charm of tales of the gold monkey so chris if you, if you don't mind did you have a back history with this show or did you just literally watch the first episode like two days ago you could you could be honest um, or lie i'm so i am so glad you asked me this <laughs> question because then i get to tell you this story and everyone can know oh, just yes, how yes, yes. ridiculous of a human i am so, so um if you have ever watched Magnum P.I., I'm sure some people have. Jeff McKay was on that show. He played a character um, called Mac, and I'm in love with that character because I am only uh, fall in love with men who are dead or fictional. And unfortunately, spoiler alert, Mac ends up being both. And this, as the story goes, is that he was on Magnum P.I. He got the job for this show to play Corky. And so they killed him off of Magnum P.I. And then when this show got canceled, he went back to Magnum P.I. and said, can I be back on the show? And they're like, sure. And he became the doppelganger character <laughs> of Jim Bonnick. Ah. And I needed to know what this show was, why he left. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, Tales of the Gold Monkey. This sounds questionable. I must see it. <laughs> well, as, it, as luck happens... We have this show at my my tiny little cornfield library. Oh, we do we do not have Magnum PI, <laughs> but we have this wow. show. And so last September, I had a week off. I'd completed a huge project at work, and so I had a bunch of comp time coming to me. Sorry, that was lurch. My cats are in the room with me. <laughs> he just sneezed from under the dresser. But anyway. I, I had a, a, a week off of work, and I said, I'm going to binge watch this show. And so the first time I ever watched it was in September of 2021. I'd never seen it before. So that was fun. Oh, excellent. What about you? Um, Since this was on your short list, yeah. I want to know your history. I think I, think I actually um, do remember watching it on and off when it originally aired. I would have been nine 
and uh, I would have seen uh, a year before I, I, I would have seen Raise the Lost Ark in the theater. My Uncle Raj took me and my cousin Chrissy. This is my Uncle Raj who introduced me to um, Doctor Who and Sherlock Holmes and Monty Python and like bands like the Moody Blues and Pink Floyd. Um, so he introduced he he didn't introduce me to Raiders. I wanted to see Raiders, but he was the one who took me to see it. And so obviously, like, you know, when Star Wars came out and I was a kid, I wanted to see anything I could see that was spacey. And with Raiders, it was the same thing. And when they, um, uh, the, the, the previews for the show started showing up, I was like, oh my God, I gotta see that. I think around the same time there was a Bring Them Back Alive, um, was another, uh, Indiana Jones ripoff that only lasted maybe like six or eight episodes. But this one obviously went the full season. If it went more than that, we wouldn't be talking about it on here. But, and I remember watching it not religiously, but on and off. And then it was gone. And I thought, ah, well, that's what happens with TV. I'll never see it again. And then somehow a few years ago, I got the DVD set. And I'm watching it again now. So, um, so it's it's basically I um I I I enjoy I enjoy uh, well I was gonna say hell I wrote a book on <laughs> 1980s action movies that is filled with Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoffs, and and one of my favorites actually a film I watch more than Raiders is Ark of the Sun God. It's an Antonio Margheriti film, Margheriti, starring David Warbeck, as a sort of Indiana Jonesy type character who is sent to find the the Ark of the Sun God, and it's 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 well known for um there are car chases in it several car chases in it and the director would actually use like little like model cars, so um you you would see like real cars going around a corner and then all of a sudden you see like a model car go off a jump or something and you'd be like that doesn't look you know it's like if you see like water or fire like in a um a, a miniature it like fire never quite looks right water never when it's in miniature it always looks a little wrong and that's what you just see these cars go and and i will say the thing about it though is that i've seen ark of the sun god probably about eight times and each time i watch it i love the model cars a little bit more for some reason, I don't know why, it's like, bring on the model cars, where are the cars, where are the cars, oh, there they are, it's just like, wee, and it's just, it's just so funny to think that, like, I mean, this would have been shown on the big screen, I mean, our, our Razor Lost Ark has one of the classic car, it's not a car chase, but, the, you know, the sequence when he overtakes the, um, the armada of the Nazi trucks, one of the, one of the best sequences like that, and I think in the history of movies, and these Italians just put some matchbox cars on a table and went, woo! <laughs> and slowed them down. You know, like, so it's like, whoa, about time, about that time, the old Duke boys, you know, it's like you're watching, you're like, something's wrong about this. And then it clicks. Those are like Hot Wheels. What are they doing? So, I'm a, I, as a kid, I was a huge fan. If, like, um, uh, Jake Speed and the Tom Selleck one, High Road to China, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, and even even the ones like uh, The Perils of Gwendolyn, which I shouldn't have been watching because I was a little kid, or Yellow Hair and the Fortress of Gold. I loved all the Indiana Jones um, ripoffs and things like that. And so um, and so this was something I did. I didn't, like I said, I don't think I watched it religiously, but I watched it enough so that when the DVD set came out maybe 10 years or so ago. I was like, oh, Tales of the Gold Monkey. Yeah. So so I'm, I'm excited to be talking about it here because this is, I, I'm hoping I see something. There were a few bits in this episode where was like, I remember that. 
and I'm hoping there are, there are more as we go along, but we we shall see. So I guess well let's let's dive right in then. The 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 thing you might notice, folks, here is this is a two hour episode, um, two hour pilot. It's not a um, like like the Battlestar Galactica three hour pilot. It's this is not a minisode because the first following the rules of Alvin Merrill, our TV movie. Um, patri- pa- patron, patriot, pa- pa- you know the guy he watches over us. You know what I mean. He's he's our TV movie guy. Amanda is our living TV movie expert. Alvin is the one who watches over us. And per him, this is not a TV movie, even though it's two hours long, because the first the next episode aired a week later. So that's why this is incorporated into the uh, episode itself. If you if you are wondering, uh, so I, I guess I'll ask. Um, so this this was obviously this was the first time I'd seen Tales of the Gold Monkey since I was a little squirt, and um, and this is the first time you've seen Tales of the Gold Monkey. What did you think of the pilot for of T O T G M? That's what the that's what the fans call it. <laughs> um, well, when I first saw it in back in September, I. I wasn't sure I was going to like the show. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to sit out the show because I not that I thought that it was bad, but I just didn't think it was my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 I don't typically, I mean, yes, I've watched the Indiana Jones movies, Indiana Jones movies. Um, but this is supposedly based off of he, Donald Belisario said he, he was inspired by some movie. Only angels have wings oh, from sure, the 1930s. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't have much history with those sorts of movies Mm -hmm. so i wasn't sure this was like going to be my kind of brand but Mm -hmm. um upon the rewatch uh for the podcast when i watched it again i i think i got it a little bit more Mm -hmm. i think having seen the rest of the series because i did i stuck it out and watched the rest of the series (laughs) Um, i haven't even got that far and i've had the set for like three years yeah i I ended up it took me longer than the week Mm, i I had to it took me a couple weeks to do it but I think having watched the series and then gone back and watched the pilot again, I got it better yeah. and had more fun with it, mm-hmm. and it, it worked better mm-hmm. uh, for me. There's still some, some stuff that I'm just kind of iffy on, but <laughs> for the most for the most part, um, I liked it a, a lot better mm-hmm. this time around. What did you think? <clears throat> you know, I think it, it does that thing that a lot of the – Indiana Jones, and I know it, <laughs> Donald Belisario says, you know, it was based on this, that, or the other, but the reason it's made is because of Indiana Jones. We all know that. You can say, oh, you know, yeah. Bring Him Back Alive was based on the, the Frank Buck, the Great White Hunter, you know, but it was Indiana Jones. Um, uh, I, I think it, it, <coughs> it does, pardon me, it does sort of, forgive me, folks, I, it's been windy here in L.A. the past few days, and I've got like, like the wind of a uh, hundred years up my nose, and I, it's just, it's... <laughs> Oh, it's rough. Um, uh, it does that thing where it it moves. I, I was I was I was surprised. Well, maybe not surprised. I mean, they should do a good job with it. I was going to say they're professionals. I like the the pace was nice. There was never a moment where I was like, "Ooh, we're slowing down a bit too much here." Every time I check the time on the episode, because I like to do that, I like to mark down, you know, okay, we're at this point and stuff like that. Every time I check the time, we were like five to ten minutes ahead of where I thought we were. I was like, "Okay, we're moving. This is moving pretty quick." But the one thing it it, it doesn't do that a lot of the Indiana Jones follow-ups didn't do, uh, forgot to do, was load on the action. In the first hour or so, 
there's not a lot of action. There are a couple fist fights, which are okay. There's a scene where the plane almost crashes, which is okay. But there aren't a lot of big... The big action is like the last 15 minutes. Which, if I remember correctly, uh, High Road to China was like that. I remember I saw that in the theater um, with an aunt of mine who loved Tom Selleck. And she would, she was the only one who would go with me. And I was like, okay, come on, Aunt Helen. And we went to see High Road. Was that is that the that's High Road to China? I keep wanting to say Big Trouble in Little China, but High Road to China is the Tom Selleck one, right? Bess Armstrong, I think that's right. I'm going to say that's right. Um, but that but that one too has like it, there's a lot of you know banter between the male and female leads, and there's a lot of bad guys, and there's a lot of stuff going on. But it isn't until like an hour or so in when you're like. Where, where are the action bits? That's the thing with Raiders, is that Raiders starts off with a kick-ass action scene and then peppers the movie with action bits that get bigger as they go along. Well, even like Jackie Chan's Armor of God, which was technically a Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoff, has a huge scene at the beginning, a huge scene at the end, a big car chase in the middle, but then the rest is kind of shenanigans. But those big action scenes are big enough to, to carry you through. Um, but but that's the one thing with Tales of the Gold Monkey is that it, 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 when they're in the plane with with Higgins going to um, I was I was going to say uh, I forget his character's name from Ellery Queen why did I just blank on that Flanagan is the other guy Simon Simon um, dang it his his Ellery Queen character you know what I mean everybody um, uh, and they're um, when they're in the plane flying to you think they're flying to one place but they're actually going to Baku which is the volcano island with the monkeys and the gold monkey on it basically from the point they kind of land there to the end those 15-20 minutes or so are really really uh, nicely done uh, action and the rest of it is kind of nicely done drama that always gives you the promise of action but it doesn't really happen until the end now, at the end of the day, this isn't Raised the Lost Ark, and it is based on something else. And if it's based on a movie from the 40s or such, they didn't make action movies like that in the 80s. So I see exactly the way he's structuring it. But that my, my, one, my one thought is I would have loved if they had just put in like a really nice action scene somewhere in the middle. That could be me. I, that, could, that could just be me. However, having said that, it's nicely paced. It introduces everything well, uh, brings in all the, the characters who are going to be reoccurring and such, and leads us to the ending. And I think once you get to the island, it becomes really, really good. And the rest of it, I think, is, is quite quite good um, to okay. You know, and, and so I, th- I, think it's, I think it's a fun watch. Um, and, and it's got things, too, where it's like, like the Mike Post, Ted Carpenter theme is almost John Williams, but it's a, it's almost John Williams, but not kind of thing. You know, it's like, uh, da, da, da. and and you, you sort of, you, you do get that thing too when you watch it where you're like, the, the guy who directed this directed a ton of stuff. He directed a, one of my favorite BJ and the Bears, um, the one with um, George Lazenby and John Carradine uh, with uh, Dracula, the one that's set on Halloween in the rainstorm, A Coffin with a View. Um, and but but you sort of see when you watch something like this where it's like you have Steven Spielberg who who he hasn't really directed action in a while but I would say was one of the, our best action directors ever. You have John Williams who's one of the best score writer composers. Did Lawrence Kasdan write Raise the Lost Ark? I'm going to say he did. 
um, or whoever raised the large was excellent. So you have these really excellent top notch film people making this this epic, and then you take a step or two down, and we got Tales of the Gold Monkey, where the direction is good, not great. The writing is good, not great, but good, and the music is good, but not great. But they do have to carry it for like 22 episodes, and Raiders only had to go for an hour and 50 minutes. So at the end of the day, yeah, I did enjoy it, and um, I, I will just say um, that one of the reasons why I joined, uh, I really enjoyed it, was um, a young lady named uh, Caitlin O'Haney. But I won't say any more right at this moment. Uh, what else? What else do you have in this? What else? What else grabbed you about it, or what else like, like, um, like, like when you rewatched it? What, was there a specific? Was it the pacing? Was it the music? Was it the character interaction? Was it was it the plotting? Because it's pretty good. It, he plots it pretty well. It, maybe he overplots it slightly, actually. Um, but um, uh, what, what what was it like, the, like when you watched it again, specifically for this? That made, was there something that made you hey. Or not? I think upon the rewatch, mm-hmm. um, what helped for me is because I had gotten to know the characters through watching the series, mm. watching the pilot again. Yes. The the characters kind of I already knew them, so that kind of helped mm. a little bit. And I because I I adore all of the characters. Mm-hmm. I love everybody's first appearance mm-hmm. because it just so nails their character mm-hmm. and who they are. And it, I just. Because what the first time we meet Jake, he's playing cards yes. and loses yes. the dog's eye, yeah. loses Jack's eye, because he has that false opal and sapphire eye, and he loses it in a poker game. Mm-hmm. He's arguing with his dog, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes down to the docks and gets into a fight. Yes. And the first time we meet Sarah, she is arguing with Sam, and when the fight breaks out, she ends up hitting. Yes. Jake over the head with a bottle. <laughs> and the first time we meet Corky, he's pacing the dock talking to himself. Yes. And he and, and he does have a moment where he stops and talks to someone who's just sitting there. And yeah. you think he probably knows. Who is an innocent yeah, Yes, standard. exactly. He may know him, or he may not even speak English. You know, yeah. yeah. And, you know, so the first time we meet the princess, Princess Koji, mm-hmm. and Toto... And that is a great scene because we meet them and we meet um, Willie, who's a Nazi officer. Mm-hmm. And it's so great because she's putting somebody through like, well, no, he comes up. He sh- First he arrives and he's late because of somebody. And yes. so Toto has them killed. Yeah, yeah. decapitated. <laughs> and then they bring him in and this other guy is messing with a cobra. to pr- It's some sort of a test. Yeah, it's get the ribbon and- off the cobra. Yeah, and to prove himself to the princess, and he ends up getting bitten by the cobra. And the best part is, so this dude is a Nazi, an actual Nazi, and he is looking at all of this going, wow, this is extreme, even for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is like, whoa, <laughs> these these people are nuts. These... <laughs> yeah, this is a little excessive. Yes. So, and then and then we meet um, Bon, bon Chance Louis. Oh, yes. Who... Mm-hmm. It's Ron Moody in the pilot, but he'll be Roddy McDowell mm-hmm. after this. And I thought Ron Moody was was fine with it, but we get to we get his backstory that he escaped the guillotine. Yes. So every the characters are really what really sells, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. The, not just this, the pilot, but the series as well. So 
it, they clicked a lot better for me. Yeah, I can <clears throat> watching the pilot. I, I can see that. I can see that because I I had that happen with um, two shows on here, uh, Ellery Queen and Search. I had that happen with both of those when I watched the original pilots. I liked them but didn't love them. Then when I got to the end of the series and went back and rewatched the the pilot, I I just loved it because I knew everyone and was familiar with everything that was going on. So yeah, that's um. Yeah, that's that that I would bet the same thing would have happened with me if I'd watched it. But but I I did like like I said I I recognized some of what was going on. I, I remembered some of it, especially the stuff on on the island in the end. And um and I um and I'll just say that um you know one of my favorite uh, slasher films is He Knows You're Alone, and uh, one of my favorite proto slasher films is Savage Weekend. Both of them starring Ms. O'Haney, and um, and she's she's delightful in both of those, and she's a lot of fun in this. Sometimes I don't know what accent she's doing, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't the only one. Uh, there, there were there were, she, she, she's doing it in some scenes, and she's not doing it in others. I um so I I I, I wasn't sure. Like like the first yeah. when they're on the plane together the first time, and she's talking to him. I'm thinking, Caitlin, what are you doing? I actually have a note here that says, "What is her accent?" <laughs> yes, <laughs> I feel I feel like that's um, um, maybe a New England accent or something like that. I honestly don't don't remember uh, what she said on that, but but that sort of has, has that sort of the posh, um, northeast um kind of thing to me. But I'm, I'm not I'm not completely sure. But it's it's always she she she's great in, in this, and she she was um. Snow White, the first Snow White in the sitcom The Charmings, um, which aired a few years after this, and she she was in a lot of stuff. She is um, in He Knows You're Alone, the slasher, the Armando uh, Mastriani slasher. She is um, very charming. Have you seen that one, Chris? With um... Tom Hanks is in it. It's the where the she's about to get married, and there's a guy who's stalking brides to be. There's a head no, head in a fish think tank. So. No. I don't. I don't recall the head in the fish okay. tank. No, I think I would think. I think I would remember that, and I don't remember. And that, that. was made. I think I, I want to say it was made in like uh, Staten Island. Don't quote me on that. Circa late winter of '79, and it was very early, very early slasher, and it features the first appearance on film with Tom Hanks, um, who's very charming in it, and um, and she's she's in it, and she she's um, she she's wonderful, and um, uh, and four years before. Three years before that, she was in Savage Weekend, which was written and directed by a guy named David Paulson. If you're a Dallas fan, you'll know him because he was an executive producer in Dallas for years, and he wrote probably 30 or 40 Dallas episodes. But he also made some sleazy movies, and Savage Weekend is one of them. And it's kind of weird because you see uh, Caitlin O'Haney in this, and she's she's just, I, I want to squeeze her. I want to run up and just go, <laughs> You know, I don't. I don't even have to. Just like I, I can kind of go in low. You know, just kind of going around. Yeah, you're a little squeezy. Um, but um, in in Savage Weekend, she is a little more voluptuous and a little more nude. <laughs> and, uh, and so, if you watch that, like, and he knows you're alone. She's this. She's basically looks like this. 
she's kind of this charming, sweet character who who you know is about to get married, and she's 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 got this ex who is is still loves her, but she's going to marry this other guy, and and but in Savage Weekend she's kind of this yeah kind of gal, and and so it's so it's fun to it's I like her is what it comes down to. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I'll talk about her more over the next 20 or so episodes, but I, I, I like her very much. I like the Sarah character and there's a twist. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put up a something right here. Normally we try not to spoil, but, um, I'm thinking just because this is the pilot, we'll try not to in later episodes, but I think we can spoil some things here. And I think sort of the reveal of what Sarah is up to, is there there are two really cool things that Donald Belisario does in the writing to hide stuff uh and one of them is what Sarah is really up to and the other is what the monkeys are up to oh my god is that we'll talk about we'll talk about that in a little bit but before before I talk about what Sarah is up to throw, uh, do you have something uh, something else um something a character you love what do you think of the dog? Oh, I just, I, well, we'll get back to, we'll get back to the dog because he's the star of the show. Uh, but I course. just want to point out that it's really funny that you're here for Caitlin O'Haney and I'm here for Jeff McKay. <laughs> I am absolutely in love with him. And outside of Magnum, I just like for my birthday week, cause I take that week off. Sure. I just binge watched Baba Black Sheep, the first season Ooh. of it, which he's in. Because oh, and the wow. whole reason I watch that show is he's in it, and also I want to see how tight Robert Conrad. You got to do the tight meter when you're doing it. I you know you want. I do. <laughs> I, when it comes to Robert Conrad, I do. I'm going to write a thesis on. You got to check this. I mean, you know what? What? What is it? Um, what's What's that? Uh, the uh, The uh, The TV movie with the gal? Five Desperate Women. Is, Five Desperate Women. Yes, that's tight pants. That's tight pants. That's you don't. I mean, nothing ruins. Nothing ruins. I, who is this killer more? Than focusing on the butt of Robert Conrad. Well, and and he was also in what is it, Smash Up on Interstate Five or yes, something yes, like yes, that. Yes, yes, He's in that as well. Also tight pants. I believe it's in his contract that he has to yes, have tight have pants. Yes, have those tight pants on. Yeah. So I, so far, everything I've seen him in tight pants. He's great. He's he, he's great. Yeah. And it's funny. I've never really watched uh, 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 Black Black Sheep Squad. I was going to say Baba Black Sheep, but that's not right. It is. It's, it's also. It, it was, I think the first season was Baba Black Sheep, okay. and then second season they retitled it as Black Sheep Squadron. Okay. It goes by both. Okay. I haven't seen the second season. We have the first season. We don't have the okay. second season. Yeah, I, I think, that I, I haven't, I haven't, I have, I've never seen that show, but I do know that it was because of that show that he was able to be on those first three or so episodes of Battle of the Network Stars, when he's really wonderfully yeah. belligerent and is super fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I hadn't seen it prior to mm-hmm. oh, I don't think I'd seen it prior to what I just watched it mm-hmm. but I will say it's probably spoiled me forever on fight scenes when I was watching the fight scenes in Tales of the Gold Monkey I'm like this is kind of lackluster to what I saw mm. on Black Sheep Squadron because they they were literally just brawling yes on that show here we have nicely choreographed yeah. fight scenes over here it was a free for all <laughs> yes exactly yeah I think I think that could be cuz cuz the 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 fights in Wild Wild West were always really good. Oh yeah. Yeah, and so I think that's probably a Robert Conrad thing. And I seem to remember a few in Hawaiian Eye being good, but don't don't quote me. I, I could be thinking of Bourbon, thinking of Bourbon Street Beat right there instead of Hawaiian Eye. But um, but yeah, no, you're right. Like the two, 
the two pre-final... Here's the thing with the, the final fight scene in the movie is, <laughs> is between Jake and a character known as Monocle, played by, you got it, John Hillerman. And, yeah, and if you, if you, so if think you about went it. into this pilot think not thinking it, you were getting a John Hillerman fight scene, you were wrong. You were getting a John Hillerman fight scene. Think about it. And, and that's that's the, the the one tricky thing with Jake is he doesn't he doesn't come off as a full on hero because the two fight scenes he gets into he he doesn't really. I mean, he doesn't win the first one, and he only wins the second one because he hits the guy in the face with like a a camera, like a film camera or something. Uh, which I can't watch as he slaps the guy in his face with this thing and then it cuts to a reverse shot of him coming through like saloon doors and I just expected to see his face like covered with blood and you don't there's no blood anywhere and I was like that's that's a bit much to hit someone in the face with like that and then his third big fight well it does have I do love that stunt off the off the off the rock into the um into the water waterfall yes, yeah that, that was good that's that's really nice of them because you know they're going to do that and the moment they do that you're like do it guys yeah <laughs> and you know they're in a studio um i mean it's obviously that the set's a studio but my god it's a beautiful studio set and and when they hit the water you're like did they just throw john hellerman off of that <laughs> no don't do that simon Ooh, what is his Ellery Queen character's name? Why can't I remember? Um, uh, si- Simon Lebon. Yeah, that's right. It was Simon Lebon. <laughs> yeah, he moon. He was moonlighting for Duran Duran. Yes, there you go. Point. There you go. And he was hungry like the wolf. What are you gonna do? <laughs> so, um, uh, but but what else, what else do you have for this? Because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff in this. Um, and, oh, I'll stop because I I I asked you a question and then I kept talking. Um, okay, let's let's go ahead and talk about Jack the dog. Oh yeah, I'm gonna probably mess up everybody's name. Jack and Jake, because I think the person should be Jack and the dog should be Jake, and but it's the person that is Jake and the dog that is Jack. This is like you know barking once, once for, for no yes. and twice for yes. I uh, what what did you think of that? Real quick before you go on, did you did you did you buy that or did you think the whole time like no? I actually thought it was pretty funny. Okay, All for right. the whole for, that it was the running joke that. It's his dog, but he's the only one who does not know that this is the code and that everybody else is like, of course, what else would it be? And that's how he ends up losing the dog's eye. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was a little bit, I was a little bit, I'm not quite sure. That felt like Donald Belisario, like coming up with a joke and being like, this is going to work. And I wasn't convinced, but I'm going to watch it again. And I think I'll be more convinced as we go. But I'm sorry, I cut you off. You were talking about Jake and Jack and names. Yes, yes. But, I, yeah, the dog is the star of the show, obviously. I mean, he's the one who actually rescues Sarah first Mm -hmm. because he attacks Sam for being kind of a ledge. Yeah. And if it wasn't for his intervention, I'm just saying. True. And he also knows that that, uh, because Willie's in disguise as Reverend Ten Boom, who is supposed to be a Dutch reverend. And he's not. He's a Nazi. And he, it, he's the only one that knows it. And mm. so he keeps growling at him. Yes. And Jake's like, I can't figure out why he doesn't like the Reverend. Mm. Because he's smart. It, I like how they kind of put it like the dog is the smartest one of this whole yes. group. Yes. And I do love the moments where um, uh, whenever uh, Jake yells to – I'll get that wrong too. When, when Jack runs away from 
um, um, Jake, maybe as he should. And um, but but whenever Jake says, uh, but yeah, whenever Jake says, Jack, stay, Jack stays. He always <laughs> yes. stays. He always stops. So so it's almost like you you want to um, you you want you want to reason with him. You want to have a talk with him. And he's like, no, man, no, I'm out of here. But then if he says stay, you're like, okay, you got me. Just just for a second, I'm gonna sit here. You're good, okay? Yeah. All right, I'm. Looking. And and I do like that he has to. They have conversations with this dog, like he's. I mean, obviously he's answering them yes or no. Mm. But like when, because Jake, because uh, Jack is still mad at Jake for losing his eye, and Corky is telling him he's like, you know, you can be really mean sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like sincerely saying, you know, maybe you should stop punishing Jake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, and you know, it just occurred to me. I, I just because I have I have a note here that, um, as I been, mentioned that this director did an episode of BJ and the Bear. Both the BJ and the Bear pilot and the BJ Bear is an actual TV movie, not a pilot. And this one begin with the gambling scene. Where where the main characters lose big, and then get involved in shenanigans. Now I know Donald uh, Belsario and um, and Glenn A. Larson created Magnum PI. Is that right? Am I am I? That is correct. Okay, so they would have known what they. Uh, Donald Belsario never wrote for B.J. and the Bear, but um, he probably could have if he hung around. You know, if it was on long enough. <laughs> if he wanted to. But um, but it's 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 interesting. Like like when I saw him doing the betting thing. Now I know that's. That's well, that, that's 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 what Marion does in Raiders: A Lost Ark. Um, but I can sort of see what that is, like like him him doing the the, the betting sequence and then losing losing <laughs> losing the eye. Uh, but but I did think of the BJ and the Bear scene because in in the BJ and the Bear he's playing pool, and um, the the woman who wants to hire him to get the. Um, well, I'm not going to ruin it in case my BJ verse, which is going to get a lot of weird hits if people look that up on Google. My BJ verse podcast <laughs> is 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 going to I'll go deeper into it, but uh, and that's going to get if that quote comes up. Um, but it's it's sort of the same thing. It's 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 I, I like the way they both begin with these guys. They're gambling, and they they both lose. And but BJ has his you know the bear uh, and and. Yeah, that, that the more I talk about it, the more I almost wish like a big red truck had pulled up <laughs> and, and taken them across these islands. But um, but you know me, any 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 um, excuse to talk about BJ and the bear. Um, so what else do you have? What did you think? Um, oh oh, I actually I will. I uh, I'm I'm not going to say what did you think. I'm going to say something that the sequence where. Um, um uh reverend the fake reverend is is walking with um is it tojo or to, um toto 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 sorry um uh they're walking into the princess's um pagoda or whatever it is um i can say that that sequence where they cut the guy's head off and when they go there i've been there that is the huntington gardens in san marino california which is about uh, half hour drive from where I live. Um, they have an English tea that they do that is so good. And 
the the gardens you see you you see right before you see them all walking down this sort of pathway with like the pebbles on either side of them you see like this beautiful lake and this huge red bridge that looks like it would be really awkward to walk on and it's like oh my gosh it's the Huntington Gardens oh dear they they use that that pops up in a lot of movies and TV shows in the 70s and 80s my favorite thing that it appears in you got it Mame the Lucille Ball film the sequence with Lucille Ball and Robert Preston where they are, there's a kind of musical montage of them dancing and falling in love, takes place in the Huntington Gardens. And the last time my wife and I were there, we took some pictures around the place where they danced. We couldn't dance because part of it was blocked off, but in our hearts we were dancing. <laughs> so um, so I, I just want to say that um, if you're ever in the L.A. area, go to San Marino, go to the Huntington Gardens, their tea is exquisite. You get the little sandwiches, you get little pastries, you get, they have three or four different, go at Christmas time, because they have wonderful teas, and they have all these different gardens to walk through, and the princess, her um, her uh, her spot, her pagoda, is there. So what did, <laughs> what did you think of that scene, like when, when they walked in, and it was like, hello princess, and my first thought was, what country are you from? But what what did you think? Well, like I said, I do like how basically the Nazi was totally yes. overwhelmed yes. with with the cruelty that was happening. Uh, I liked how the entire scene, she's basically in a hot tub, mm. n- nude in a hot tub. Mm. And I'm like, well, I often conduct my business deals <laughs> yes. nude yes. in a hot tub. Yes. <laughs> but um, The librarian, do, the nude librarian. <laughs> the nude librarian. <laughs> I don't think anybody would come in. Um <laughs> No, no, no. Come but, on. Uh, I liked how he made sure to point out, because at one point she insults Hitler mm. oh, a yes, little bit. Yes, because and, and he made sure to point out that he, he doesn't do politics, but he is a loyal officer. I think that was the show's way of saying that um, he does not necessarily condone the um, – because this would have been the 1930s, so the ramping yes. up of the Holocaust happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he is lawyer to – so he's only like kind of a bad guy, sort of like how mm-hmm. Princess Koji and Toto are only kind of bad guys. Yes, they're working they're their own country. They're a little yes, bit so, in opposition. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 They're a little bit in opposition of stuff that, that Jake and Sarah end up doing, but it's mostly for, in their case, monetary gain. Yes. And so they're not really like uh, – like, ideology wise they're mm-hmm. not bad guys mm-hmm. but I do like that and we'll see more of it throughout the series Toto I don't think likes Willie very much <laughs> and he tortures him in various yes. ways yes. <laughs> and he and why he, that's why he get is like really really amused by his discomfort about this cobra, cobra thing happening yeah. behind him yeah. while he's trying to discuss business about this uh, supposed gold monkey which the uh, the Germans want because it's supposed to be some sort of alloy. Yeah, alloy. yeah, yeah. And what are they going to do? Melt it down for scrap and make rockets out of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Why not? I mean, they took the they wanted the ark. You know why? Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you? Well, I was. Just, it was just like, and the the thing too is that um, Princess Koji is like, well, 
if I'm going to get paid for helping you get this, fine. I don't care what you do with it. So, yeah, she's very, very, very monetary oriented. And you know what? I support that. Get yours, girl. Yeah, yeah. And the thing I do like about her her, her and and her her guy there, who I'm going to call Toho, Tojo, I'm going to horrible. I'm horrible. Let me grab the booklet here. Toto. Toto, yeah, it's Toto. I don't think it would be Toto, though, because I just think of Dorothy's dog. Um, yes. Uh, but I, I love the fact that they they do two things that I love in this episode, which is they go to the island with the gold monkey, they see it's filled with these crazy monkeys, and leave. <laughs> and then at the end of it, when it turns out, okay, like I said, we're gonna I'm, I'm going to spoil some of this, but the gold monkey that they steal is actually brass. And the Nazi is very unhappy. You don't want to see a sad Nazi. Who wants <laughs> to see a sad Nazi? Um, no I, all I, I just thought of uh, Jerry Lewis in the day the clown cried. Oh, you don't want to see a sad Nazi. <laughs> um, but but I love that the princess and Toto are both like it was brass. <laughs> We're out of here. You know, and it's like it's like they they have um they're 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 in it to win it unless it becomes kind of like we're gonna get hurt or it's kind of stupid. Then they're like, okay, we'll go, we'll go. We got, we got plenty. We got plenty. Yeah, yeah. They're very much invested in the fact that we're only in it for the money. Yes. We have. We, this isn't our our war. This isn't our fight. So. Yes. Psh, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. and I do love though, since we went ahead and spoiled it. So basically, the whole pilot is a brass monkey joke. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's, and what's not to love about that? It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And then, and we'll talk about it before we end. But the closing shot of this episode, if if you sit there for eighty nine minutes and think this is just okay, the closing shot is so cool. And it's 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 either it's it's like to me it's like it's like wow. It's also like wow. That's like the best eighties heavy heavy metal album cover ever. But it's just like wow. And the the, the closing moment. We'll talk about that in a bit because. Like I said, uh, well, let, let me, let me, if you don't mind, I, I will do the, um, the, 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 the first of the, the lovely things that I think Donald Belisario does is that, um, Sarah is presented as sort of, well, I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, she's kind of, you know, vanity, vain, slightly, but then she's in a place where people just stand and sweat. So I can understand if you're trying to be attractive dripping sweat is very like Alan Hale Jr. or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, stop. Not all the, not all the time. No, you're not Borgnine. Knock it off. Um, but there are a couple moments regarding her suitcase, and we are going to spoil this, where it's, um, she's got her suitcase. Here's your suitcase. Oh, you're so, it's so heavy. Well, I'm out here. I got to have dresses. I got to have stuff. And she doesn't throw her suitcase off, and they're about to crash. And that suitcase must weigh fifty pounds. Well, you gotta, I gotta have my suitcase. Why do you throw out the suitcase instead of? Because they throw out the Nazis' Bibles and the the French guy's champagne. And why did you throw out the suitcase? Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. The reason why she didn't throw out the suitcase is because she's a spy, and she has a radio rig in her suitcase, and it's so nicely done. Now, I'm not just saying that because. Um, uh, she Caitlin O'Haney's half naked during the scene where she's doing her her stuff because I didn't notice that until a third, fourth, and fifth viewing. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a joke. 
that's that's a joke. <laughs> um, but but it's great because you keep hearing about the um, the luggage. And you think, oh, of course she's going to pack a ton of luggage. Why would you? You know, I don't mean to sound sexist or horrible or anything, but you're like, that's the way this works. You know, she packs out luggage. But then the moment she opens it and you see this huge radio rig inside it, you're like, oh, Donald, you got me. <laughs> you got me. Well done. Well done, sir. Yeah. Oh, I love the swerve that she was the spy. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Yeah, that, that that was nice because I, um, because that, that makes sense too, because when you go back and watch it a second time, like when, um, uh, uh, Higgins kills, um, uh, Sam, you're like, what is that about? Why is he doing that? And then, and then you're like, oh, I got it. Sam's a, Sam's a spy too. Uh, this isn't just an evil Nazi, even though there, there is that great moment where, um, uh, uh, Willie is on the radio and and Monocle is standing under um, a portrait of Hitler and he kind of like <laughs> takes his hat off and runs his hand through his hair and you realize they have him looking exactly like Hitler so you're like is he is he meant to be Hitler <laughs> is he like one of the clones of Hitler what what is he meant to be I don't know yeah I, I had trouble taking John Hillerman seriously though yeah I I love John Hillerman. I especially love him as Higgins, but I've seen him in other things and I adore him. But it was really, really hard to take him seriously. Yes. Is this? He's supposed to be a Gestapo agent, mm-hmm. and he's because re- Willie like gives him hell because he's like, "Why are you wearing a German yes. officers?" And he goes, "Because we don't have uniforms yeah. in the Gestapo." Mm-hmm. But it was just it was his accent was not the greatest and kind of all over and he it was just really really hard to take not to say that he wasn't um like menacing, menacing when yeah. he kill yeah when he kills sam that's that's like what the hell yeah yeah that's kind of shocking and but when he's like in the scenes with willie and when he's um in the final the final scenes the brawl, in, yeah yeah at, on baku it's just it's really hard to take him seriously. It's, it's, it, it is a little tricky. Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with you. I uh, and I wonder I wonder why um uh well I guess um Magnum was hugely popular. So so that's I guess that's why they use him. But it's it's funny that like our like I said, our main character gets in his first fist fight that he loses. His second fist fight, he's losing until he smashes the guy in the face with like a huge piece of metal. And then the third fist fight, he's fighting Higgins from Magnum PI. <laughs> you know, it's it's so it's so weird that that it's like <laughs> that's our hero. Should he be like, you know, it's like uh, you know, it's like it, like even Indiana Jones when he when he encounters that big guy spinning the sword and then he just shoots him and walks away. You know, Indiana Jones, you know, knows like. Hey, you know, I'm going to, I take on, he, t- oh, he is that huge bald guy. He fights by the plane. You know what? He, he takes on these huge guys and, and sometimes you don't, you just shoot him and walk away. But, but our guy, he, um, yeah, his, uh, I was expecting a little more from the fist fights, but I will say the brawl on the ledge with the waterfall is nicely done. Yes. And, um, and what, oh, oh, um, Throw out, throw out another thing at me because I just thought of something. Um, okay, since we're we're talking about character stuff, yeah. I have a question to ask you about Corky because, of course, I'm going to be biased and I'm going to be in love <laughs> with him. 
But Corky is an alcoholic. Basically. Yes. They, they talk about him being a boozer, and the insinuation is is that he has he's drank so much that he's caused himself some brain damage. He, his memory is shot. Yes, yeah. So he can't remember. He can't remember shit. <laughs> so I kind of felt like by the time we got to the end of the the pilot that it was a little overdone because he couldn't remember that a friggin' guy with a monocle is sitting in the yes. the goose waiting for him. Because like some of the stuff I could understand because it was played for comedy. Like he kept trying to remember to tell him about the uh, port engine, but he kept confusing mm-hmm. it with the starboard engine. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. Or and he couldn't remember there was something else he was supposed to tell him. What well, was Bobby's husband was back? Yes, Th- that that I thought was kind of funny. But like by the time he gets to the point where he couldn't remember that, <laughs> it gets a little. It, 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 it's a little overdone. It, I thought it crosses over. I mean, I I almost I almost feel like maybe when when Donald Belisario was writing it, it seemed okay. But then as you're watching it and you realize what's going on, it really is sort of like this. This is a little sad. Actually, this is um, this is I just feel for him. And yeah. I, I just um, no, it it is strange. I I'm interested to see what his character is going to do in the in later episodes because I thought surely you can't continue to make this worse. Well, he he still has memory issues, mm-hmm. and it does come up, but not quite as bad okay. or as often yeah. as this. But yeah, I mean, and it is kind of a, he's kind of a sad character because he's very sweet. Quirky is a yes, very sweet very, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sarah takes to him immediately and mm-hmm. defends him at one point because Jake kind of snaps at him and mm-hmm. she gets on Jake for that because she's basically like, how can you kick this puppy of a person? What's wrong yes. with you? Yeah. Yeah. And poor Corky, when <laughs> when Monocle like starts to – they're in the plane. He Corky's sitting back there with, with Higgins and <laughs> Higgins comes up with a gun and Corky is oblivious. Yes, yeah. And until the fight starts, because Jake has to leave the flying of the airplane part to, yes. <laughs> to fight him, and yeah. Corky's like, "What's going on?" <laughs> and you're like, "Baby, you're where were you? You were right there. What, what were you thinking about, sweetie?" Dear, dear, please let's talk just for a moment, please. Because yes. they kind of, I can understand him making making him sweet and a little bit definitely affected by the booze, but mm-hmm. he's like borderline special. Yes, in the yeah. pilot, he gets better. Okay. In the rest of the series, if I remember correctly, but yeah, he was like getting borderline, like almost mm. developmentally. Yes, 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 yes. I, I, <clears throat> as I was watching, I thought, "Huh, what's this character doing?" And then when I realized what the the basis of his forgetfulness and his confusion was, I thought, "Oh, that's a little, that's 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 amusing." But then it got a little worse, and I thought, okay. But there is, I will say, he does, I guess he does sort of, uh, there is the moment where um, Monocle is walking towards the island, and and Corky is um, about to shoot him. And then he doesn't, and he comes back in, and you think, like, why didn't you shoot him, Corky? And Corky's like, I'm not going to shoot a man in the back. And you're like, okay, there's the little bit of cognizance that we we needed, I think, yeah, to 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 make that, yeah, and and he does say like in the end when everyone's running back to the thing, he's like, oh, Jake doesn't Jack Jack doesn't run that fast unless he's chased by something, and neither does he, you know, and there, and he does fix the engine because I always think like, I, I, I I'm not a mechanic, and just like the thought that 
if if the plane if an engine breaks down and I was the mechanic, would I have all the right things in my toolbox to take care of that? And he always seems to. Corky always seems to. So 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 he he may be having a rough time with the drink, but he is fixing the engines when he needs to. Although maybe they should get a new plane. I'm just saying, <laughs> may, but they probably can't. That's why I, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know. No, I think Jake's in love with that plane. So yes, exactly, he exactly, get a new exactly. And, he's constantly... and so, and Corky keeps it flying. He's kind of like you know, he's he's at his most sober when he's working on when the plane. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah, because it's like when he throws up in the engine, all I can think is, I don't know what goes on in there, but boy, I'm hoping he has everything he needs. Like, I can't imagine it's just like, I got a wrench, I got a screwdriver, it's fixed. I would think they're <laughs> something else. I don't know. I don't know, though. You know, I'm I'm very not good at that kind of thing. I can do some things on cars. I know nothing about airplanes. So. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with toilets. That's my thing. <laughs> I fi- I figure if you got to be good at something in the house, make it the toilet. Yeah. Because we're all going to end up there at one point. That's true. That's true. That that's a good life skill to have. So so um uh let us um okay let us um I I uh go to because I realize now I we could probably talk for another hour. So I'm going to try to um, try to bring us to the end. And I just want to talk, what did you think about the, um, not only the beginning sequence where the two Germans go to Baku, and I know what you're thinking, damn, Baku, isn't that the name of the alien race from Star Trek Insurrection? Yes. And Dan, weren't you an extra Baku on Star Trek Insurrection in the summer of 1998 for about a month? Why, yes, I was. Please feel free to watch the movie and look for me. Um, but this is a different Baku. This doesn't have the apostrophe in the middle. Um, but this, like, the opening sequence where the Germans go there and they see the monkeys and the waterfall. What, what did you think of the set? What did you think of the, the close? This specifically, the closing sequences. Did they, did they like, get you, yeah, this is exciting? Or were they, eh? Or what did you think of the monkeys? Did you want to make friends with them? Did you like the set? What were your thoughts? Well, I have to say, when I first watched this in that opening sequence where they go and there's this obvious human in a monkey suit (laughs) sitting there, Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, what is this? And then he, the guy shoots the monkey, and you're like, rude. And then suddenly, (laughs) killer monkeys. And now, these people, it doesn't look so much like... Uh, human beings and monkey costumes anymore. This looks friggin' terrifying because they yeah. just ripped them apart. Yeah, they, it went from this is kind of hokey to this is a horror movie in yeah. like a sneeze. Yes, and then, yes, yes, yes. Then you get to the end when we see them again, and it they they were actually kind of terrifying. Um, <laughs> it was very King Kong to have. Sarah tied up like that and yes. here comes the monkeys mm-hmm. um, I feel like maybe if they brought them snacks they would have been a little more agreeable <laughs> yes yes. Um, the Germans did not help their cause no <laughs> at all but yeah, I, seeing them at the very end and then because um, that is it, it is a beautiful set that waterfall it is, set it's a gorgeous, gorgeous set I mean I feel, I, I'd love to know I mean that 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 to me that I think I feel like that's like a two sound stage or something like they opened up an extra sound stage and just made this huge thing. I, it's 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 a gorgeous set, gorgeous set. 
It is. And I liked that. I, I mean, okay. I think Sarah probably could have taken Higgins if we're going to be perfectly yeah, honest. I think so. Yeah. Considering she showed a lot of spunk throughout and then mm. he just puts a hand over her mouth and she is done. And I'm like, my gosh, you could slap that gun away from him and, <laughs> yes. and knock his monocle out and yeah. take him. But no, we can't have that. We needed one damsel in distress scene and that's what we got. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, and, oh, I didn't mind Higgins getting it in the end, considering he hurt the dog. Oh, yes. Oh, rude. what was that? Did you? That was like what? Come on. But then, but then you have you know, of course, Jack is back on his feet and fighting the monkey, which yeah. that dog looked like he was having the time of his life. Yeah, <laughs> he that's was having pr- such a good time. That's a gr- that's a great scene where he's going at the monkey and 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 Sarah's yelling, "Get him! Get him! Get him!" That's that's really, yeah, that was really good. So, yeah, I liked that, and I did like, I mean, the, that end scene where they, they kind of trap Higgins in the waterfall there, mm-hmm. and Jake points out, there's no place to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to go past us, and it kind of, that's what kind of instigates this this fight yeah. that ends up happening, which is, and, <laughs> which I loved, because it's obviously not John Hillerman fighting. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, so, he looks like John Hillerman. Yeah, there's there's some close-ups where mm-hmm. John Hillerman's doing things, but in the overall fight, it's it's definitely not him. And then, you know, in the very end, uh, spoiler alert: he he does not fare well from mm-hmm. the fall off the waterfall. Yes, and he surfaces when when poor Sarah's going through that lagoon with that yeah, yeah, brass yeah. monkey mm-hmm. he still had his monocle though <laughs> so he that monocle survived through that fight through yeah. that fall yes he did I, I feel like maybe there was someone who was in like a like a focus group who was like who is that guy oh that's the character <laughs> monocle where's his monocle so they had to go and reshoot it and put his monocle in because it fell out yeah it, like, oh, like yeah. He must have super glued it in. I guess if like yeah. he, it was like a Clark Kent thing, yes. if he took out his monocle, you're like, oh, it's Higgins. Oh yes, you got to have that monocle so we didn't think it was Higgins. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think I, I agree. I think the um, that that set is just fantastic. when you see that set, it's like wow, that's that is an incredible set, and and most of the rest of the 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 episode is in like. The, the 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 tavern or the bar and and in the in the um plane set and or on docks so you you think i think a large amount of money went towards this set and i i, I would i would love to know if that set popped up i i feel like it probably won't appear it might appear on another episode don't tell me if it did <laughs> we'll find out as we go along but i feel like that's one of those sets where like if i looked around at television at that time that set would appear on something else because that just feels like that's like a huge that's like the bat cave in batman in the 60s batman that is like this epic set that just it's just gorgeous and you get the you get the fight behind the waterfall and they fall off the waterfall and you get here the um the uh second and and i will say you you're right about the monkeys because when it starts off at first it's like hmm but then when they start like grabbing the vines and swinging across the set, dropping on the ground and then running right at the camera, it's like ah no stop that's that's too much monkey that's 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 <laughs> I got I got them all the monkey I need and the way they leap into the frame on the people 
it's just almost like it's it's like when you see like cats being thrown <laughs> like in, you know like in old movies when like a cat does something it's clearly they're being thrown into the frame that's almost what it feels like like a re- like Andre the Giant picked up one of these stuntmen and threw them at one of the actors that's what it looks like and um uh the uh the 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 other zing and then and then we'll wrap wrap this one up um the other zing that that donald belisario puts in is that um uh, uh monocle finds the spot behind the behind the waterfall where there's a cave and the gold monkey is there and they take the gold monkey back and um when that happened i thought ooh that's a little easy isn't it you know it's like you know even the beginning of raiders of the lost ark you know, Indy had to go through so much crap to get that golden idol. You know, and this is just like, I walk behind a waterfall, and there it is, like 10 feet behind the waterfall. And, but, but he, Donald, uh, Donald, Donald B, I'm going to call him Donnie B. <laughs> he, he, he throws a zing at you because that ain't the gold monkey. It is brass, and there is a gold monkey, but somewhere on the island, it's, it's a little tough to gauge exactly where it is on the island, but there's some safe place on the island where there is a gold monkey. And the last shot, pardon me, the last shot of the episode is the the monkeys around this gold monkey idol. And then the camera pulls back and there's sort of like a giant gold monkey cave with like a finger pointing at you. And the volcano is erupting behind them, and it keeps pulling back and pulling back. It's like, what the hell is this? And then the episode ends. And it's just like this craziest moment where you're like, the monkeys just zinged everybody <laughs> in the episode. And what did you what did you think of that? Like, like did did you did you have that moment too where you thought that seems a little too easy? Or or, or and then when you saw the ending, we're like, ah, wow. Well, I guess because. He found the gold monkey, and I was like, okay, well, yeah, we're going to go look for this gold monkey. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it, it turned out to be brass, I thought, oh, no, no that's a good zing. You know, mm-hmm. they went through all that, and it's a it's a brass monkey joke. And then we go back to the island, and it's the Megadeth cover, yes. album cover there. Yes. And yes. I was like, oh, that's nice. I really like that. So they didn't – there is a gold monkey, but nobody went far enough to go find it, and yes. why would you? Because killer monkeys in a volcano. Yes, exactly. I'm going to pass. Exactly, exactly. it literally – it was demon monkeys. That's what the, or, that was. Yes. and they Demon monkeys. And and it's an interesting mix, too, because, like, when you go – when he goes in the cave, when, when, when Higgins goes in the cave, um, like, he he's lighting torches and stuff. So it's like you're thinking, are the monkeys – are they doing the torches or did someone else? And you're like, what is going on? And they don't, obviously they don't answer it. And that final moment, like you said, it's a Megadeth album cover. It's, it's a, I don't know. It's kiss at their silliest. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's anthrax. I don't know what that album cover is, but that moment is like, I just saw a band. What was the band I'm thinking of? Oh, there's a German band called crossfire that had a very similar album cover, like a giant like monkey or ape head on a pyramid. But that was a few years after this. So um uh but but that you see that ending shot, it's like, wow, the the monkeys got them all. And um maybe the monkeys will return in later episodes. I don't know. The show is called Tales of the Gold Monkey. Right. Should be more monkeys. Should be more monkeys, yeah, but um 
But yeah, what what else do you have? Like I said, I think I think we could actually probably talk for another half hour or an hour. But what else do you, do you have? And I mean, what I mean, I, I guess the one thing we didn't talk about was um, apart from his kind of mediocre fighting skills, was what do you think of Jake as the lead character? I actually um, I like Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, he because I guess because he's not like really good at fighting oh, clearly yes. mm-hmm. but he's a good enough guy that he kind of he knows how to play the game i guess yeah and and he's he's witty and mm-hmm. um yeah i and he's he is kind of he does snap at corky once but he's also very sweet to corky when he tells him he can't have beer he needs some to be sober yes yes yeah mm-hmm. and it's this, he's very sympathetic towards him so you can tell they're besties mm-hmm. which is nice <laughs> so and i do i and i think it's hilarious with him having conversations with the dog and having yes. arguments yeah. with mm-hmm. the dog so he's not he's not a very like serious business hero and yes, i like yeah, that yeah yeah he's he really is a pilot who just happens to fly into all kinds of crap yeah, yeah. He just he he's a pilot who happens to get into shenanigans. Yes, and he'll fight if he needs to, but yeah. he he really just wants to gamble and and fly his plane around. Yeah, I think I think I I liked him as a hero. I I didn't I I didn't I didn't completely love him as a hero, but I think I think that will I will warm up because there's so many other characters and so many things going on. Occasionally he gets a little lost in it, um, but. Um, I think I think I'm going to warm to him as we uh, as we go along, but um, I think they're Jake and Jack are a formidable duo. Yes. And you throw Sarah in there, and she's fun. So, um, do you have anything else on this um, two hour um, pilot that's actually ninety minutes? Um, all I have left is some trivia. Yes, so, please. Just so you know, all of my trivia is going to be Magnum PI related because Donald Donald Belisario has a tendency to reuse the same actors and the same plots throughout his <laughs> series, mm-hmm. I've noticed. So just for you to, so you know, um, in the main cast, Jeff McKay, Marta Dubois, John Calvin, John Fujioka, all have been on Magnum P.I. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Hillerman, obviously, he was Higgins. I am pretty sure the dog was, too. I think, <laughs> it was, I think Leo the dog, who plays uh, Jack... Was the also the dog in the episode "The Ugliest Dog in Hawaii"? I'm mm. pretty sure it's the same dog. He only has credits for "Tales of the Gold Monkey," so I'm not for sure. Okay. And my last bit of trivia is: William Forsythe played one of the Germans who got maimed and mauled by the yes. monkeys in the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not in the 1980 Magnum PI, but he was in a couple of episodes of the 2018 reboot. Oh wow! Well, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah, I don't. Um... Gosh, I, I wish I had some trivia. I, I like these actors; they're very nice. And they, they shot, they, and a bunch of this was shot in Hawaii, in the uh, Hawaiian yes. Islands. Yes, because I did recognize them. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that's got to be great. Where it's like, you know, I created Magnum PI; it's such a big show. And hey, let's bring another one in here. We'll do that. Yeah, that'll be great. Um, so, so uh, that's Tales of the Gold Monkey, the pilot. I think. I mean, I would give it. If I had to do out of stars, and I don't normally do, I don't normally like to do that, but I'll say out of five stars, this is a three and a half, close to four star, I think, opening opening journey. 
Um, It it, it introduces the characters really well. It sets up the world really well. I I just think it's a little light on... um, It's got adventure. It's a little light on action. But that's okay. Anything else? Anything else on this one? I I would concur. Three and a half gold monkeys for me. Yay! Three and a half brass monkeys over here. (laughs) And um, so I guess, Kristen, so so we got a a nice haul ahead of us here. How many episodes were there? 22? 22. 22, nice. Because last time we did Auto Man, which only had... Only had 13. 13, 13. Yeah. But then we did Green Hornet, which had 26, which is one of the big... Uh, the epics that we've covered on this series, so um, so I'm excited to do this full season here. We're going to be, um, yeah, we're going to this this will be sort of the um, one of the anchor shows for 2022. Will yeah. be the Gold Monkey. Yay! So, I'm excited to do this. Yeah. And be back. I'm so glad to be back. Yay! Oh, <laughs> it's always it's always wonderful to have you on here. It's a, it's it's always a good time. And um, so I I will stop now because um, you know. As this episode is, as I said, is it's not a um, it's not a standalone. That means that this episode of Adventure Super Train is now super length, and I know occasionally some people get a little cross about that. So forgive us. We're having a good time. So, yes. Kristen, where can we find you online? Where can we find you right now? What's going on? Where are you? Are you okay? I am. I am well. I'm in the box room with Gomez and Lurch, two of my cats. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Um, and you can find me online if you want to go to akakikiwrites.com. That is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five O podcast, which yes. Dan has guested on for me. Yay! Um, and we always have a wonderful time. Um, you can also find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com, and you can find me talking nonstop about Jeff McKay on Twitter at <laughs> kikiwrites. Yay! All right, so we are we are we are in Gold Monkey Town, everyone. Next up, the next episode is Shanghai, and and um, hey, Shanghai is an anagram of shenanigans, right? So I think this is going to be a good time. So. Uh... <laughs> And that's the episode, everyone. Welcome, Kristen, back to the show. And uh, we got we got a lot of uh, gold monkey ahead of us here, and uh, and a show. And we're in the '80s. We finally left. Uh, we're not all '70s anymore, so that's cool. So I'm ju- I'm just gonna wrap it up here. You know where you can find us. I'll do more next time. This episode's already whoo lengthy. So I'm gonna play a little bit of music, and we'll get together in a few weeks and discuss more of all these fun things. Talk to you then, guys. Be safe. Be good. <laughs>